The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Ron McDermott, writer for the Irish Times, and of course our movies person as well, and Ben Finnegan from the 5 of 5 and 6 at 6 are with us for the week trending. And there's a story breaking this afternoon that's getting a bit of attention online. Why is it that people going through security at Dublin and Cork Airport in future will be made to take off exactly the type of hoodie that I'm wearing at present? Oh, you're talking to me. Okay. Yes. Um, I don't really know why. It seems to be a security measure. Um, DAA has been asked by the Irish Times why this is happening. Apparently it's been a rule for a long time, but it hasn't been enforced that if you're wearing a hoodie or oversized jumpers going through the scanner, you're going to have to take it off. But if you're what, wearing anything underneath, Rob? Uh, well, hopefully you will have a top underneath. And I think a lot of women were concerned, saying, what if I am only in a bra? What if I am not wearing a bra? Lads were saying, we're told all the time to not walk around topless and suddenly this is going to be enforced in airports. I will say, I felt very sorry for the poor person on the Dublin airport Twitter this afternoon because he was getting absolute dog's abuse and was saying, we can't speak to what other airports are doing. I can't even give you a reason. We don't make the rules. Dublin airport are just told to enforce them. Um, so for the next few weeks, please be nice to the people in Dublin Airport because I'm sure they're going to be dealing with a lot of anger and aggression. I think what's interesting about this is first of all the lack of transparency around why this rule has come in um, but also the idea of security in airports and the lack of information we really have about the effectiveness. Now I can't speak to Irish airport security and I'm not going to but the TSA which is the American um, security enforcement in airports they've repeatedly found to essentially be abject failures in security tests where they send people through with forbidden items concealed on their person. The TSA failed to find things 80% of the time. So it really does seem that there's a lot of funding going towards this theatre of safety that is actually very ineffective. So I think being transparent about the measures is important. Anytime I go through airport security, they usually find something that I've forgotten to take out of my pockets. Something lethal like a nail scissors or a bottle of water. Well, I don't think they'd actually look very well disposed towards you if it was a nail scissors. That is apparently a thing that the theatre of security is what makes people feel safer than the actual security itself. I've known the studies in the US and the TSA. But like with Dublin Airport and a hoodie, like a lot of people, it just seems to be an inconvenience for or a way to inconvenience people because like if you're going on a long haul flight or, or even if you're going anywhere on a flight, people like to wear comfortable clothes because let's face it, an airport and planes are hell on earth. So you want to be as comfortable as possible. And this just seems to be a way to inconvenience you even more. However, can we just flag that individuals inconvenience each other in the airport all the time? No matter how long it has been since people have been told to take liquids out of the bag or take their shoes off, there are always people who decide to do this right when they're up at security and holding up the line. So this rule is going to be enforced. None of us are happy about it. Could you still prep by taking off your jumper before you're at the top of the queue, please, people? You drive me mad. Okay, well, then talk to me about Ben Explain what's happening in the Defence Forces with their new grooming regulations. Yeah, they seem to have relaxed them to try and modernise the Defence Forces. This was part of the recommendations from the Commission on the uh, Future of the Defence Forces. It recommended uh, ending outdated bans on types of facial hair should be abolished so somebody with a beard would be able to go in. You'd be able to wear a certain amount of fake tan. Uh, I haven't seen how much fake tan uh, is going to be allowed. Um, You're going to be allowed to have nail varnish as well. Um, women 
lucky day for women they can choose from one of six hairstyles the rights we've all been fighting for finally I'm surprised that because it was supposed to be a big joke that in North Korea there were only 10 approved hairstyles that people could pick from but I didn't realise that in our Irish Defence Forces that there are certain approved hairstyles um, I think the hairstyles one is really interesting, actually. And I know the headlines are fake, focusing on the fake tan and the nail polish because I think we love this idea of encouraging women to conform to beauty standards. And then if they try to, we criticise them. And so making this seem like it's so frivolous. But people are overlooking the hair issue. So first of all, men are allowed to grow beards. They have to ask permission to. And these beards are monitored, which seems utterly draconian. But in terms of hairstyles, um, men have to keep their... Uh, their hair neat and short and not touching the back of their collar. Well, um, so it's like been back at school. But uh, soldiers wishing to sport a top knot, mohawk, cornrows or locks are out of luck, which is inherently racist. And I think we can focus on the nail polish and the fake tan, but we have to look at this idea of professionalism. Ideas of professionalism were created largely by white heterosexuals men uh, decades ago because women weren't allowed in certain workplaces. They weren't allowed in the defence forces. A lot of black people and people of colour were omitted from the from these organisations as well. So the idea of professionalism is based on these outdated, very rigid ideas. And by claiming that wearing your hair in locks, in cornrows, in protective styles that a lot of people of colour use, that that is inherently unprofessional, that is inherently racist. You're saying that somebody's appearance is unprofessional based on their race and the texture of their hair. And that's interesting because the Defence Forces are supposed to be reflective of all of the people whom they serve. It is, and they would probably argue that, you know, being a member of the Defence Forces involves, a, you know, a lifestyle of discipline or whatever, and these are rules which have to be followed. That's a very interesting point about the the, the, the racism, which I hadn't thought of. I thought more about uh, the mullet not being allowed and how that might affect recruitment rates in Sligo. Um, but <laughs> but these ideas of discipline, of neatness, of, you know, polite, professional appearance, they do have these ideas of sexism and racism within them because essentially you're policing the texture of people's hair and how they present themselves and saying that your identity has to be consumed by these standards that, again, were created decades ago. Let's by talk a little bit more about policing of people and the reaction among some people, which we referred to earlier in the week, but I think it's worth coming back to. Uh, the winner of the Eurosong contest going to represent Ireland at the Eurovision Song Contest uh, quite a few people seem unable to deal with the idea of Bambi Thug they just don't like them don't like them uh, getting very insulted and ignoring the fact that I'm sorry Eurovision for decades has been held up as this LGBTQ event it is beloved by people in the LGBTQ community it is essentially an incredibly camp uh, display and for years we've been like countries have been sending glorious uh, gender diverse people people who are trans people who are openly gay and you know representing that beautifully um, they're overlooking this and the issue here isn't Eurovision because people aren't objecting to the nature of that every single year. They're objecting to their own bigotry and their own very rigid ideas of what gender should be and how we want to represent Ireland. And there's just this holding on to this idea that Ireland uh, needs to represent itself uh, with traditional gender roles, which is, again, it, these are just outdated views that no longer represent the reality of who we are today. And the simple fact as well, I watched the Eurosong on the late date last week that's Friday night. It was the it was by far the best performance and best song. Like a lot of the songs were absolute dirt. They <laughs> have been for years. They have They've been. They've been yes. so dull. But like when you when you look at like the Eurovision over the last couple of years, out of all of the six performances on Friday night, 
Bambi Thugs was by far the most Eurovision and like why shouldn't we try something different and as far as I'm aware they are the first um, non-binary Irish entry so let's modernise Okay, and then what about Taylor Swift? This is something we spoke about with Marion McKeown and Cal Thomas on Tuesday in our American spot, and it's become even more of an issue throughout the week how she has become a target in the US election culture wars, and particularly about how certain conservatives literally want to put her back in her box. Well, look, Trump has about 14 legal cases going on. He was recently ordered to pay $83 million to E. Jean Carroll for defaming her and denying that he had sexually assaulted her when he was found guilty of it. Judges are criticising his lawyers for being absolutely unprofessional. Uh, he mentioned an insurrection. Uh, his numbers are absolutely terrible. So the Republican Party are putting their attention where it needs to be, which is Taylor Swift's new boyfriend, and saying that Taylor Swift's presence at the NFL is threatening to Trump, but they are literally using the word conspiracy and saying that there is a conspiracy happening of Taylor Swift encouraging her followers to vote for Joe Biden. Um, It's interesting that these were conspiracy when involved with Taylor Swift and not their own party, not when talking about election fraud. And if anyone supports Donald Trump, that's not a conspiracy, that's an endorsement. So it is just yet another way that the Republican Party is showing they no longer have any values, they no longer have policies to speak of, they no longer have an ideology. They are just distracting people with these nonsensical culture to distract from the fact that Trump has been an absolute disaster for the country. Internationally, their reputation has plummeted. That their policies do not uh, serve or support their main body of supporters who are working class people, middle class people and they're fuelled by billionaires their tax breaks, their healthcare system, their education system is creating huge class divides and so they're saying oh yeah it's a conspiracy against us, Taylor Swift is the problem. Uh, One listener says oh well 13 year olds can't vote, I think Taylor Swift's fan base is utterly enormous amongst the adults and in fact it's also been shown that the interest she's taking now in American football has brought a whole new generation of people into the game to have an interest in it. I don't know if she has to say they has an interest in American football. She's an interest in her boyfriend who <laughs> plays American football and she goes to the games. But it, like, yeah, there was a recent poll that said that 30% of um, young American voters, those under the age of 35, would be influenced by a candidate which may be endorsed by Taylor Swift. And I think like around the 2020 election, wasn't there... Um, in her documentary, wasn't she kind of conflicted about whether she should um, speak, endo- about speak about it and endorse Joe Biden? Like it's she's well within her right to do it, uh, and people are well within their right then to say that oh well that's an unfair advantage, but it's not really because you know people look up to Taylor Swift. She's a role model, and if she like she could turn around hypothetically, I don't think she will. She could turn around and say vote for Donald Trump. I don't know, would that influence the 30% of people who say that they would be influenced by her vote? I think they say, like, there may have been a loaded question there that if Taylor Swift said she was voting for X, would you be more inclined to vote? They're probably going to vote for Joe Biden anyway. If you're a big Taylor Swift fan, you're probably not going to be too conservative, certainly since she left her country. I think music the problem is the Republicans are relying on Dem- Democrats being so disillusioned and disconnected that they won't turn out to vote at all. They're not worried about more people voting for Donald Trump. They're worried about Democrats not voting. But celebrities have always been used to encourage voting. There's the Rock the Vote campaign every year where celebrities sign up to raise awareness. And so it's not even about converting voters. It's about highlighting the issues and making voting seem cool to younger people, which has been a campaign that's always used. And if Taylor Swift... 
I agree, Ben, I don't think it's going to happen. If she turned around and said people should vote for Donald Trump, you can be absolutely sure they wouldn't be calling it a conspiracy then. You'd be calling it a logical endorsement. Yeah. Um, so we have a bank holiday for next month for St. Patrick's Festival. We have a bank holiday for the second time coming this Monday because of St. Bridget. But tell us about the Catholic Herald, which I think is a UK publication, arguing that St. Bridget and St. Patrick have been commandeered by pagans and commercial interests, Ben. Yeah, well, firstly, with the Bridget's Day, they uh, say that it has been commandeered by people who are celebrating the Celtic goddess Bridget, who uh, came before this Saint Bridget, um, and that it's been revered in pagan culture while St. Patrick's Day is commercialized that the hell has been commercialized out of St Patrick's Day um and sure even if you look around Dublin in the next month you will see uh, everything uh, leprechauny and green going up to bring the yanks in and bring in their money but like even the the official name of this public holiday this weekend it's St Bridget's Day slash Imbolc which mm-hmm. is a pagan Celtic festival uh, which which celebrates renewal and uh, and spring so you know even the idea of this um, Catholic herald trying to argue that, um, you know, how dare the pagans take over this when, you know, paganism is... The history of paganism goes way further than the history of Catholicism in this country. And then you have the British... And I'll just find it here, the correct title. The British Pregnancy Advisory Service, its website, also has an interesting take on St. Bridget of Kildare. Well, St. Bridget was always the patron saints of babies, children whose parents were not married, uh, and midwives. And there are also takes that Bridget was basically uh, the first abortionist, Ireland's first abortionist. But this comes from basically the relationship with midwives who traditionally in pagan times would use herbs to induce abortions. But this is also supported by academic research. There are research papers that say four Irish saints are accredited to performing abortions, otherwise known as the abortion miracle motif. The four saints are St. Bridget of Kildare, Kieran of Sager, Aid McBrick and Kynico of Agava. And each of those four saints uh, they share the similar motif in stories where they bless a mother's womb, resulting in a mother no longer being pregnant. So these are not invented stories. But I also think there's such an irony to the Catholic Church complaining about how St. Bridget is represented. They were not the ones behind the recent push to acknowledge her. These are coming from governments. These are coming from NGOs. These are coming from feminist organisations who are acknowledging the uh, deliberate erasure of fe- female knowledge and the lack of awareness around Irish women's stories and how women are raised from history. So to ignore St. Bridget for years, to allow St. Patrick's Day to become um, an absolute alcoholic festival and then say, oh no, once you support women and once you bring in uh, a, a, a holiday that people are happy to celebrate outside of the church, then it's a problem. And I actually think it's so wonderful. I hosted an event last night down in Nace about for St. Bridget's Day. Uh, it was with Hot Press. We have a series celebrating Irish women's women artists in association um, with Bridget's Day to highlight the work of it. Last year, we screened Nothing Compares about Sinead O'Connor. Last night, we showed a film about the Dunstores strikers in the 1980s and interviewed the strikers. And so using St. Bridget as a d- way to celebrate women is incredible. So, of course, some Catholics are mad. Okay, Ben, how's the deposit return scheme which came into operation yesterday gone? Um, Have people been online complaining about it? We can't find somewhere to bring our tins and bottles. People are always going to complain. They 
<clears throat> excuse me, uh, the biggest complaint I've seen, uh, it's a deposit, first of all, and the biggest complaint is that people seem to call it a tax. It's not a tax because... Yes, you can get your money back. We, you can get your money back. Um, there was an issue yesterday. Um, a retailer uh, had um, basically charged people a deposit on bottles that they shouldn't have been charging on. And uh, then the retailer said that, oh, no, that's fine. You'll get your money back. And I spoke to Return, the company that was running it um, last night, and they did say that, you know, as long as you keep your receipt and if you're charged for a deposit, when you you will get your deposit back, even though this retailer was arguably trying to pull a fast one by trying to charge people extra for items that they shouldn't be charged for. Like, it was a very simple, very clear laid out scheme and process that, the bottles with uh, the certain logo on them, you will be charged extra for them, not the ones that will still be in stores until the end of May. That didn't happen, and then they had to firefight after the shop just went rogue. Well, that, in fairness, that's a much more confusing instruction than please take off your hoodie, and people are still mad about that. It is. <laughs> yeah. Okay, just to finish, we will be previewing Rugby Six Nations during the last word in sport, but there is also a report come out of Britain which says rugby for children in schools is a form of child abuse role. This is not a new study or this is not new data. These are decades of studies but this particular study is released. Uh, there are two authors, uh, sociologists of sport, two sports psychologists, one of whom is Gary Turner who is a multiple former world champion in kickboxing and jiu-jitsu. These are not people who are not invested in sports. These are not people who are not interested in sports but the data is unequivocal and inarguable that contact sports, particularly sports like rugby where there is a focus on tackling people and taking people down are causing micro traumas in children's brains as their brains essentially move inside their own skull. So this isn't something that can be solved by putting a helmet. It's the impact of a, a, a tackle or a fall moving the brain inside the skull. They're seeing dementia in people 18 years old. They're seeing early onset Parkinson's. Um, and I have to say, I was listening to interviews with these scientists and psychologists who've been studying this for years and these sports psychologists and the responses to them have been mortifying. People just outright denying these developments in science because they're investing in the idea of children need to be able to play these sports. You can play tag rugby. We've already brought in legislation that is designed to keep kids safe. We don't let kids smoke. We don't let kids vape. We insist that they wear seatbelts. We insist that they use car seats because we know that children's safety is important. But when it comes to sports, people get so defensive against inarguable evidence that this is causing brain trauma. You will hear the, oh, this is PC madness and all that. Let the children play rugby. But there is a a serious point to be made behind that as well, that like the the case of Jeff Astle, the West Brom player who died a number of years ago. He headed the ball too many times and basically had um, like Alzheimer's later in life. There is a case to be made that if children are allowed to play full contact rugby and they develop some sort of neurological issue later in life, then rugby is liable for causing that. So there, it isn't outside the realms of possibility that there are cases to be taken in years to come. Rugby players are already suing rugby union because oh, yeah. of the, the damage they We've spoken to someone like Steve Thompson on this programme about his memory loss. He can't even remember the Rugby World Cup finally played in. No, and children at the age of 13 aren't allowed to head the ball anymore unless, uh, and then as teenagers, only in competitive, not in training. California is banning teenagers from playing American football because of the amount of college footballers who are again presenting with brain injuries. And I think what's so important to remember, there was a gorgeous film out two years ago, Lakelands, about a GAA player who received uh, too many concussions, who was not allowed to play any sport then. If you love sports, 
make sure your kids are playing tag rugby. It's that simple. We invest in a different way. Roe McDermott, a contributor to the Irish Times. Ben Finnegan from the 5 of 5 and 6 of 6 here in the Today FM newsroom. Thank you. The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.